Welcome to our podcast, Growing Give and Take Kids, Power Traits for Life. This program is brought to you by Victoria Kendall Hodson and Mary Emma Willis of Reflective Educational Perspectives. They are founders of the Learning Success Institute and Solomar Academy Independent Study Program. They are also co-authors of Discover Your Child's Learning Style and Self-Portrait Power Traits Assessment. Their mission is to give parents and teachers the tools to empower kids to thrive in the real world by focusing on their strength, or as they call it, power traits. Please visit powertraitsforlife.com or reflectiveed.com for more information. Welcome back to Growing Give and Take Kids, Power Traits for Life. This episode is about the impact of feelings and needs in the classroom. I'm Mary Emma, and today I'm joined again by educator Edie Lampar. Edie is a social-emotional learning and behavioral coach who has changed the lives of countless students and their families over the years. She focuses on improving and enhancing relationships between young people their parents, and teachers in the classroom and in the home. Welcome, Edie. Hi, Mary Emma. <laughs> nice to be back. Yes. So um, a couple of months ago, we did an episode called Talking in Class. It's Essential for Learning. And the topic of feelings and needs came up toward the end. Uh, and we had promised to do a follow-up. Uh, to continue that conversation of the importance of keeping in mind students' needs in the classroom and uh, the feelings that those needs bring up. Absolutely. So here we are. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I love talking about feelings and needs, and yep. I know from my own experience and from working with countless kids and their families how important that is to the success of a relationship. And so I'm glad that we get to talk about that. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, going back a little bit to that last episode, um, and we were talking about how kids need to talk in a classroom just like adults do. You don't just walk in when you're taking a class and sit down and say nothing, or as the class progresses, people need to sort of share and ask questions of each other and so on. And so... Um, in that conversation, um, the idea came up that when you're um, giving space for those discussions to happen and for kids to greet each other and talk, that you find out a lot about what else is going on with them. Absolutely. And there might be feelings that you would not have guessed even, or somebody sitting in the corner today and you have no idea why. And then what's the need behind that feeling? So can you talk to that? Sure. And, you know, one of the things that as we have been talking through this, we always start with, you know, in terms of looking at what's happening in the classroom is things that seem normal for uh, adults to be doing, right? Talking in class seems like a normal thing that if we put adults together, they absolutely do. Mm -hmm. The other normal, and it's really... I'm not a huge fan of the word normal as I am typical, right? Is when we put adults together, typically they can communicate about their feelings and needs 
in a way that allows other people to understand what's happening with them. And that's not everyone across the board. We obviously know people who struggle with identifying their feelings and communicating the needs that are behind those feelings. And if adults have had some training or understanding or practice at any of those skills, they are much more comfortable in that arena. And that that tends to be, even if we don't acknowledge them as needs and feelings, it's adults are usually the first things they talk about is how are they feeling and what do they need, right? Right, like even if uh, you're having a a meeting at work or some group that's meeting together, you you know, you can think of like being somewhere, maybe you've done it yourself, where you walk in and say, well, I have pretty bad day and I'm feeling a little tired and you know so I'm just letting you all know (laughs) right and it's like oh you know hi hi how are you doing well I'm exhausted because I've been doing XYZ or I really need after this is over I really need a good dinner and a glass of wine or you know whatever I need to go to bed (laughs) right 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 so sleep get some sleep and it's interesting because we allow that amongst us Mm -hmm. adults as the typical way of interacting interactions and interacting with each other and what's what's interesting about that is when we go back to the classroom and we look at the kind of structures that are in place for those conversations we don't allow for that in the classroom and I would argue we don't really allow for that in our homes often with kids right right because all of this that we're saying it goes for home as Absolutely. well right? Right. and not just if you're homeschooling but just home any you know any group Right. Any family. Right. Yeah. And for kids, when they don't have the practice and they don't know how to articulate what it is that they're feeling, um, they certainly have a, a more challenging time identifying the need behind that feeling. So if we start with what does that look like? What is a, a need behind a feeling? Right. Uh, I can think of, um, this is sort of an extreme example, but I had this little guy who was um, a reluctant mathematician. And so <laughs> my job at that point was as director of curriculum instruction, I'd often get a call at math time that this little guy, he was um, going, he was in second grade, was having what they called a meltdown. He would melt down when it was math time. And so at math time every day, I would get a call well. and could <laughs> you come and take our little friend and work with him in a separate place and so you know I'm not a huge fan of behaviorism on the whole because I think there's the feelings and needs component of behaviors is so much more complex however behaviorism actually helped us to look at a behavior and understand that there's this model right the ABC model and that is we look at the behavior we look at what happens before the behavior the antecedents and then we look at what happens directly after the behavior which is the consequence and that consequence is not a punisher right it's not the thing because we talk about consequences right right? and so we're going to impose a consequence on a child typically and that consequence is really whatever happens directly after the behavior so for this little guy you know, it would be math time and things would be going swimmingly in class and then all of a sudden it would be math time and, you know, he would turn over a chair or a table or knock something off and, you know, I'd get the call and could you come get him? And then he and I would go back to my office and, 
you know, in the time it took us to walk to my office, he would just start regulating himself, right? He would calm yeah. down and we would start chatting. And I was never in judgment of him um, about what was happening. I was always like, I'm going to be the detective. I'm going to try to figure out what the need is that's not being met, what the feelings are that aren't being able to be expressed in a more successful way. And so he would come to my office and we would sit and read books. And then eventually we'd get to the math that he was supposed to be doing and he would end up doing the math and then I would take him back to class and then the rest of the day would be fine. And so I asked the teachers to take a look at what was happening directly before this math time and then what happened when he came back to class. And what was happening was that his self-talk, right, was a clue to the teachers, right? Mm. I'm no good at math. I can't do this. I'm never going to be so good at it. So he was actually, he would start saying he those things? He would start things. saying those things as math got closer. <laughs> oh, dear. And then I'm never going to be good at this. And so his own inner critic, his own self-talk mm. was part of what was happening. And there wasn't a moment of time where they would deconstruct that for him, right? And help to make the connection between what was challenging and what he actually could do. Because when you looked at what he could actually do, what he was saying wasn't accurate any longer. It didn't match. (laughs) But no one was helping him to figure that out. And so we spent a lot of time with that sort of self-talk and how do we come to it. Like, what do you mean when you come to math? And part of what he needed, which sounds like such a simple thing, was a review of the day before, right? To remind him, oh, I know how to do this thing. Oh, I got that yesterday. Mm. Um, That's what I mean. I needed to know and to be reminded, right, I could be successful in that moment. And then as we move in, I'm I'm coming from a place of feeling successful and not feeling defeated. And so the need was to highlight what was happening. And then the need was to give him language that supported, right, that understanding. Mm -hmm. And then it was... I could come and hang out with him in class, right? Because what you also needed was connection. And I would say 99.9% of the time when we're working with kids and they're struggling with something, connection is a piece of that. Yes, and I would go another step further or backward or whatever. (laughs) Maybe back. Yeah. That the even deeper need is safety. Absolutely. That sort of, and for me, is the given. Some kind right? of yeah, connection yeah. gives right. you safety. Right. All of those things that you were saying of, you know, the little reminder that, oh, yeah, I could do this yesterday. Right. Oh, so this, and yes, this, 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 that all gave him safety. Right. So that need to feel safe and um, secure. Secure. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to fail and people aren't going to say, Bad things to right. me and tell right. me I'm not, you know, smart or whatever is in his mind that he right. thinks is going to happen. So looking at sort of the the layers of this experience is that I also knew his parents. And what I also know was that their language, the way they communicated about learning was incredibly stressful. Like if you didn't do something right within a certain amount of time, then you were labeled right as being you know not smart enough or not trying hard enough or not caring enough or and so 
all of the things we tell children about their learning become their own inner voice and often their inner critic. And so, you know, being someone who is almost 60 years old and still working on that inner critic, that being cognizant and careful about the language we choose to use with children when we talk about their feelings and needs is incredibly important, that validating and valuing their experience, not trying to change it, not trying to make it adult-like, right? So as if we do that to kids a lot, right? We want them to be adult-like or we want them to be ready for the air quotes here, the real world. And that real world does not exist in the way people imagine that it does. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about feelings and needs too, we also have to talk about this idea of trauma and the impact of trauma on both kids and adults because trauma can be any kind of event, right? And it can be, you know, divorce of parents. It can be the illness of a grandparent. Mm-hmm. It can be, you know, abuse. It can be a, a variety of things. It can and even be something that's typically looked at as a good thing. Right. Like the birth of a sibling, the birth of a sibling, or you moved, or right. you know, you lost your uh, your own bedroom because now you have to share. Right, right. All of these right. things. Well, in any kind of situation where you make a decision about yourself mm-hmm. that is often harmful, right, or or determines mm-hmm. who you think you are from that moment forward, and. So when we talk about feelings and needs, particularly in the classroom, both for the kids themselves, but also for the teachers who teach them, right? If we don't look at how trauma has impacted us as educators and look at our own trauma and our own triggers around that trauma, then we bring that into a classroom and the child can do something that really has nothing to do with you. But it triggers, right, these feelings of being unsuccessful. I would argue that most of the time I work with teachers in classrooms where they are struggling with a child, it's because that child leaves them feeling unsuccessful as a teacher. Yeah, we've often um, said that one of the things that is never touched on in teacher training is your triggers. Absolutely. And um, what... What biases do you come with? You don't explore that right. in when you're being trained to be a teacher or right. teacher development or any of that. Right. And I would argue that they try to keep that as far away from right. the conversation because our systems don't value that kind of conversation or that understanding. Right, because it's not even in the larger population or, or you know, right. in the world. Right. <laughs> uh, none of us really has been taught to, like, I mean, did you grow up oh, no. in, uh, in in school or at home learning about how to communicate what your needs were and your feelings? And No, I'm right. shaking my head. And I didn't. No, no, no so I did not. not. It's yes. not a thing we do it's not in our society. Right. So it makes sense that it's also not done right. in uh, teacher development uh, programs. Right. Well, so, and you and I have talked a lot about social-emotional learning and the movement of moving that kind of identifications of emotions and how they impact learning into classrooms. And I would still argue right, that those programs focused on children, that they don't actually focus right. on teachers. 
Right. And that's until you actually focus on the teachers and what triggers them and what messages they've gotten, both from their own families, their own um, relationships, mm -hmm. the societal norms that they've grown up in and around their cultural identification and their norms and all of those messages that we all bring to every relationship we have in the world, right? Without looking yeah. and deconstructing what are those messages and how am I participating in sustaining those messages, that's really a critical conversation to be having with everyone because we've seen, right, the pandemic made it very clear, right, about our cultural understandings and about how little we actually understand each other's cultural experiences right. and the cultural messages. And so if we want to look at identifying feelings and emotions in a classroom, we actually have to have some understanding about our own feelings and emotions and how they're impacted by what a child can bring to that space. Right, because you can't... Um handle and help them handle their <laughs> feelings and needs. Right. For example, this was years ago, but one, a, a student I had, he was pretty traumatized by different things, and uh, uh, every time there was something that he needed to do, uh, he would say, I hate you, I hate you, to me. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, if I was going to be triggered by that, most adults, they are. parents, <laughs> teachers, don't talk to me like that. Yeah. Go to your room or you're punished for this or right. whatever. No or recess. All, all of those things. Right. And um, I would just <laughs> look at him and say, well, I'm so sorry to hear that, but it doesn't change how I feel about you. So tell me when you're ready and we'll get up with it, you know, right. <laughs> move on. Um, or maybe we'll figure out a different way to do it. So, so that's how I would talk to him. Yeah. And it never, it, it never felt personal right. to me right. that this little kid was saying, I hate you. I mean, he didn't even know really what he was talking right. about, but it was the strongest thing he could think of. Well, and probably elicits the biggest response from the adults that, around you. That's right. And of course, now kids, when they're traumatized, you know, say other words right. that yeah, <laughs> adults really react to. Right. Of course, they've heard those somewhere from right. adults. Right. But that's, again, if you react to that, right. you're a bad kid or you're this or you're that. And it doesn't help. And really, punishment never helps in the long run. It might stop something right then. Right. But it doesn't last, and it never changes behavior. Right. It doesn't do anything to figure the thing out. Yeah, and it's interesting because we've talked about punishment and rewards mm -hmm. before, and punishment actually takes things underground, mm -hmm. right? So what kids get good at, and I was one of those kids who was adept at hiding things from adults because I didn't want to get punished, but it didn't change me wanting to do what I was doing because what I was doing made sense to me. It fills some kind of a need Absolutely. that wasn't being filled right. in perhaps a, a better way. Right. And it often had to do with connection. Mm -hmm. Almost always. It was how can I connect to other people, to peers, to other adults, right? So I had a series of relationships, particularly as a teenager, that other people would have considered to be problematic, 
But that was only because the people I had in my life who were adults were so judgmental and so disconnected from me and from my experience that they weren't available to be connected to. Right. You know that um, that's kind of what a gang is. Right. They're looking right. for a connection. Right. And they're not because getting they it in more productive ways. Right. So that is... You know, the loyalty and belonging to something. Right. And so that's, right. that's and how gangs that's, get you. Well, and it, that's all about unexpressed feelings mm-hmm. and needs, right? That need for connection, I think, is one of the most powerful. And then the feelings that come along when you feel disconnected can be shame. It can be guilt about you've done something. And yeah, fear. Fear, for sure. Deep one of the most powerful mm-hmm. parts of that. And it can also be... Um, you know, a lack of sense of self-worth, that if I were somehow a better kid, mm-hmm. I would have these connections and people would care for me. And how does it happen that people who are supposed to care for me don't care? For me? Mm-hmm. That happens to a lot of kids. And kids make decisions about themselves based on that disconnection, particularly from moms and dads. But and, and, it, and they can be small little ways in which they right. feel disconnected. I was going to say, it doesn't yeah. even have to be... Sometimes it's not actually accurate perception. Right. I mean, these are all moms and dads that take care of their kids. Right. But maybe they, maybe both parents work, and somehow yes. the child has interpreted that as nobody cares about me, right. whereas the parents have no clue right. that that's what's going on. Well, I'll tell a story. I was working with a girl whose mother um, had had a stillborn child. I think one of the most horrific kind wow. of traumas and experiences. Yeah. And because of that trauma, that mom sort of disconnected from her daughter because, right, the loss of a child, and there, I don't think there's anything, you know, that feels quite as painful as that. But that disconnection changed their dynamic. What did she like, sort of become quieter and withdraw? So the mom did, but the girl got much more... Uh, agitating and aggressive Uh and demanding and so all the things that you would typically look at a kid and say that looks like a brat right we would we would Mm -hmm. call that kid that but both of them were trying to come together to find a way back to each other and it took a relationship with another adult for that child to actually go oh Right, I I actually have worth here. Mm-hmm. That trauma is about my mom and is not, and it was a trauma for her too. Right, right, because this was a sibling that sure. she didn't get to have a relationship mm-hmm. with. But that relationship re- really can be repaired, and I think that's something else when we talk about feelings and needs. That disconnection often feels like to adults, particularly to teachers in the classroom. That it is something that can't be repaired. Right. That you can't you that if you have a kid who interacts with you in that way, it feels overwhelming and frustrating and hopeless sometimes, right, to make that connection. But every time, right, every moment that we have with a child, as an adult with a child, is a moment for building that attachment, for building a secure attachment, for changing that inner critic to an inner supporter, right? To to a um, 
validator and validator, <laughs> right? Or cheerleader, right? Sometimes you know, like you got this, right? That yeah. kids need to know that there's someone on their team cheering for them, and no matter the outcome. So the feelings that often arise in school have to do with what they're doing in school as well. So you have what happens outside of school mm -hmm. that comes into a classroom that you have to be detectives to understand as teachers what's happening here. And then you also have to look at what's happening in the classroom with the curriculum. Is it engaging? Is it stimulating? Is it... Is it scaring? Is it right? Is it... Can it, is it you know, scary. That is happens it, a lot. It does. And is it is it too hard? Is it too mm -hmm. easy? Are they bored? Are they too challenged? I mean, teachers, and I think it's one of the things to be said about teachers and the lack of, I hate this word respect, because it feels so um, patriarchal in mm -hmm. so many ways. But when you don't value the adults who have to make millions of micro decisions every day for every child based on a variety of information that they have or don't have, it is one of the most complex relationships that you will find in the world is between a good teacher yes. and their students because you are aware of all the social and emotional cues as well as the intellectual components and the academic components and how do you move kids from one place to the other without tipping the scale of I I now feel hopeless that I'll ever understand this, right? So you there's the scaffolding that you have to have to balance those kinds of um, decisions really requires someone who is socially and emotionally aware of the decisions I'm making are really about that child and not about what's helping me as the adult feel successful in that moment. That's so complex. Right. right. And if more teachers could learn to um, talk that way to kids and Absolutely. be the model for it, and, and, and parents too, or any yes. adults that work with kids. For example, that mom was sad, depressed, absolutely, you know, all right. kinds of things. And it would have made a big difference if she had known to just say to her daughter, I'm so sad about this, and it's really making me feel like not doing anything, or whatever she wanted to say. It didn't have to go on forever, just even a few sentences. Right. But this is not about you. Right. And I want you to come to me and ask yeah. me if you need something. Just a few little things like that. Because that daughter understood better. Yes. You know, at the end when you said she was uh, figuring things out with this yeah. other adult's help. Yeah. She then understood, oh, my mom is just really sad. Right. She's not upset with me or doesn't like me or right. whatever. So if, it, if teachers, parents, adults could learn to do that, even to say, wow, Johnny, I'm kind of frustrated right now because I see that you're struggling with this and I'm not sure how to help you. Right. Can you help me with that? Right. What are you feeling? What do you think you need? And right. talking like that makes it a huge difference. Right. And it's not only okay to say what you're feeling as a teacher or right. a parent, it's right. a, it's a, it's like a must. It's necessary. <laughs> it's necessary. Right. Well, because 
if kids see you talking about feelings, talking about frustrations, talking about feeling unsuccessful, mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, that's something I can talk about because this person can talk about it. It's incredibly important. Right. Well, and, you know, part of when we're talking about this is the feelings and needs that one of the most important tools that I've gotten in that, those conversations were the feelings and needs cards that um, that I've gotten from you. Yes, it's you, actually um, Victoria Hudson's mm -hmm. heart yes. developed the no fault. It's called the no-fault game in the no-fault zone, yeah. and there are a few books about it yeah. for the classroom as well as for home, and um, I think it's no-fault, I forgot the that website comes. right now, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. we can put it in the description, yeah. Yeah. and uh, people can go to the website and yeah. either buy the parts, or they're actually the feelings and needs cards are in many languages Yay. on the website, and they can be... Um, Print it out, yeah. And, you know, cut apart and stuff. Though. So you know, I started using that those cards and that game with my entire school, and we use it from kindergarten all the way up to eighth grade. And so, one of the things that I learned about using those tools is that sometimes the the language of our emotions is the challenge. Mm -hmm. The kids know they're feeling something. So one of the first steps we had to do was to teach an emotional vocabulary. What does it mean to be frustrated? What does it mean to be concerned? What does it mean to be disappointed mm -hmm. or angry or sad or to feel grief or rage? All of those are different. And for kids, we help them to know angry, sad, mm -hmm. happy. Yeah. Right? There's mad, sad, mad, happy. Mad, sad, happy, right? And that's not enough because it doesn't give them or the person who's trying to sort out mm -hmm. what's happening, the detective in that situation, what is it that you are actually feeling? Mm -hmm. So, you know, for the younger kids, we had the picture card. So there was actually images of people's faces. So kids could look at it and go, that's kind of how I see, right? But then there's the, the, um, the older cards for the older students where the... Um, cards are just words and then there's some blank cards right where they can write emotions that they have identified that they're feeling that don't fit with the cards that are available to them and that was super helpful too um, and I've had really powerful moments using those cards um, across all the way from our four-year-olds to our 14-year-olds at that school and I use them with my staff before we did staff meetings, but I also used them when I had to do evaluations of staff. We would start with how are they feeling as their teacher self in this situation and kind of go from there um, and then allow them to say some things that they might have been struggling to say mm -hmm. because they didn't want to be judged for it. So, you know, going back again, talking about safety and about establishing that sense of um, security and safety that you have to be able to do that not only for the students it is fundamental to start that with the adults first definitely and then have them learn how it works for them mm -hmm. so that they can then model for the kids what that looks like yeah and even adults are limited yes like if you say how are you feeling right it's hard to come up with more than sad happy mm -hmm. <laughs> 
mad. So some of the things on these cards are unsettled. I'm feeling unsettled. I'm feeling tense. I'm feeling curious. Yeah. Uh, furious. Unsure. Mixed up. Puzzled. Confused. And then there are the positive ones too. Eager, energetic, exuberant, playful. Yes. Um, we've got frustrated, we've got surprised and shocked, we've got peaceful, calm, relaxed. So see, it's hard to think of these. Right. But if you have cards in front of you, right. then, oh, yeah, that's how I'm feeling. Yeah. And you pull it out and, and it, 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 going along with what you said about the safety, mm. it kind of makes it safer because it's like, it, it's like outside of yourself. Right. It's on a card. Right. And you can pick it. Right. And say, right. You know? Well, and I think for kids that's so helpful. Yeah. Because two really important pieces of this is that when kids are in the middle of their emotions, right, as Daniel Siegel talks, Dr. Daniel Siegel talks about, you know, where kids flip their lids, their, oh, their yeah. cortex has gone offline, and they aren't available Right for the understanding of what's happening. Yeah, that happens so, to us too. Oh yeah, it happens to all of us, right? <laughs> us humans. Literally, um, yes, it does. And I think one of the things that was interesting was to say, "Let's go do this game together." Mm -hmm. And in the going and setting up and looking through the cards, right? There's this regulatory impact that happens in the choosing. What is it that I'm feeling? Mm -hmm. Right? That allows that prefrontal cortex Bring to come back, right, to the, back online, yeah. and now I can think about what is it that I'm feeling and why am I feeling this? What was the situation? What happened? So one of the, and the other part of that was allowing for kids to then at some point set out their cards, set out their needs, the choices, right, that were made or mm -hmm. could be made. And then for them to change roles. Yeah, that is very powerful. Because for kids, and you and I would say, right, for adults too, right, to really sit in someone else's experience and to really look and understand their feelings, it offers an opportunity to re-envision mm -hmm. that experience. Right, because many times there are assumptions are made or mistaken uh, assumptions that were were made, or um, a misunderstanding of a, a verbal cue or a physical cue, or you know, there's mm -hmm. it's usually um, or a trigger that was triggered that was disproportionate to the experience right, at hand. Right. There are all of those things and many more. Mm -hmm. Those are just some examples. Um, but one particular moment of using these cards really stands out to me because it was unusual in that it was a, a group of sixth grade boys. Right. They are not known for their <laughs> ability to communicate articulately about their emotional states. Uh, and they had training. And so we, there was a situation where one of these boys was basically, I, I hate the word bully too, because it's really about choosing something, right, to project onto someone else, their, your own experience. And so there's, there was a part of that in this story. This boy was making fun of another boy. There was this, um, Kind of physical altercation it was small but it was clear that there was this energy between these boys 
And there were two boys in particular, right, who were faced off against each other. And then those boys had friends who were then, oh, yeah. you know, going to defend them <laughs> to the death. Yeah, hopefully not. But yes, they were going to defend him and them. And, um, and so I had them come and choose their cards and choose their feelings. And as the conversation, so, you know, definitely frustrated and concerned and, uh, Furious was one of those words. And as the boys started to talk about feelings, what ended up coming up for them was one of the boys started talking about how the trigger for him was this boy was making fun of him. This boy had come from another school to our school because he had been made fun of at the other other place. So it elevated the entire interaction. Mm because it triggered him. Mm-hmm. And so as he started to talk about what it was like for him, he also communicated about how sad he felt about that this was a part of now a part of what was happening here because he really liked this boy and he really liked the friendships he was developing and he liked that he could talk about things in a way he'd never been able to talk about it. So it was doubly concerning to him that something he saw as safe and secure and loving had this as a, a component of it. And so he's probably disappointed. Disappointed, yeah. right? And and scared, right? Mm-hmm. That it was going to repeat itself. And so he sat there and cried about mm-hmm. it in front of the boys. These boys all beautifully managed mm-hmm. that experience. But what it ended up happening was even a more powerful thing and arguably, I think, tough for the rest of the boys to hear. But the other boy said, something terrible has happened to me too. And in the sharing of that terrible thing, um, something that he'd been a victim of abuse by one of his parents, that he'd never told any of us. And so I, I didn't, as the adult in this conversation, who had spent a lot of time talking to this family had no idea. And so I had to go back and check with this parent, did this actually happen to this kid? And it did actually happen and they hadn't communicated. Mm-hmm. So that's another sort of level and layer of understanding that wasn't a part of this. But what ended up happening was that both boys cried together. Wow. The other boys who were friends with these boys also cried for their friends and the trauma and the triggers that they were experiencing. And as we talked about needs right, and choices, it was how can we help each other now that we know this? Mm-hmm. How do we help make sure that this doesn't happen again or at least you know, be able to lessen the impact that something like this might have. And so we talked about, and they came up with, really my job in those conversations, which is why I love the feelings and needs and choices cards, is because I'm a facilitator in those conversations. They do all the work. They do all the work. (laughs) They do. And they do all the work, and you have to help, right? Sometimes, you know, with any kid, you're you're saying, all right, remember, we're talking about this right now because kids, the kitchen sink fighting that, that we humans can do is often present in those. But remember when I was five years old and you did this? Yeah. So we just, you know, as a facilitator, you're you're keeping them in the present moment and talking about the present experience. And you're helping to see the choices that they're making 
that's allowing them to successfully process this. And noticing, I use that word a lot when I'm working with kids, I notice how important it was for you to say um, what happened to you and that it was so important for you to hear from your friends their support and care for you. And then we talk about how do we do this differently, right? Because now we know. Now we know what's behind it and right. we, we want to move towards communicating that. Yeah. That's the same for the adults in the situation, right? right? What triggered you? with this kid, what happened, yeah. right, that your response was something that left both of you feeling unsuccessful in that moment. And then stepping back, what was the trigger, yeah. What what's the trauma, what's the story, right? How do we change that story so that your story doesn't become their story? Well, the thing is, if you had, okay, so they had a little fight in the playground. Right. And often that's just treated as this separate thing right. that happened. Right. And so then they're either punished right away and sent home or, you know, they come back to the classroom. Or even worse, right? Boys will be boys. Yeah, right. that too. <laughs> well, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard mm -hmm. teachers say, that's just boys being mm -hmm. boys. It isn't just boys no. being boys. Right. So they come back to the classroom, let's say, and now... They're supposed to do their math right. or their history or right. something, and then somebody acts out, then the teacher's upset, and then there's more mad and sad and right. <laughs> whatever. Right. And it and it's and it's never worked out. Right. And then it goes home. That's right. right? So all of the kids who are involved in that yes. right, go home and tell their narratives, yes. right? Without the resolution. And then parents get involved. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it escalates. And then our understanding of each other diminishes. And so it's really not only do they use the cards to um, communicate their emotional states, mm -hmm. but then they have to think about, they have to step back, right? Those emotions help us to understand what do we need in that moment. And the cards are great for that too because it also gives a vocabulary for, right. for connections. So yeah. Maybe you want to share some I of those. Have, right. Because again, we don't think of these. Here are some needs to be heard. Absolutely. To be understood. Uh, to belong. Mm -hmm. uh, a need for exploration. A need for discovery. A need for self empathy. A need, I need that for <laughs> competence. Uh, safety and trust. That's a, a typical one. A need for understanding others, a need for choice, a need for autonomy. Right. Um, autonomy is a huge one, right? You yeah. have to help kids understand what all of those what words mean. What all these right. mean, self-expression, creativity, a need for play and fun. Yes. I have a little boy that always picks the same two cards for mm -hmm. his needs. Rest and relaxation. And play and, and fun. Play and I, I'm going to say that those are, as you grow up, right? We think that's not allowed for us adults to choose right. play and fun and rest and relaxation. Right. We gotta keep yeah. going. We have things to do, and that can't be all we right. do. Right. So that I mean, this is such a perfect example of impact in the classroom. Right. So this happened outside. It could happen anywhere. It could happen before school, after school, during school. Right. Which seems like it has nothing to do with your work. Right. Just get to work. Now we're back. You right. know, do your worksheet, do this, do that. Right. But it does because you can't, as adults too, 
like we said at the beginning, you walk into a meeting and if you had an upset, a confusing day, whatever, you tend to say, hey, I'm really upset today, you know, take it easy on me, whatever. You right. let people know that kids don't have a chance to do that. Right. And then everything is kind of simmering and whatever. And then if you add on to that, because you said it earlier, this is such a complex thing. It is. There could be the emotional stuff that's going on with, you know, socially. Right. It could be separate from the school stuff, like yeah. maybe you're scared of math. Yeah. Then put them together and now you've got, I just had a fight and I got to do math. And it's just, I mean, like you could explode. Right. It, it's so, it feels so challenging or so overwhelming to somebody. So to talk about that group of boys, right, after that conversation happened, one of the things that they agreed to do, because it happened before lunchtime, because it was a recess thing, is that they were going to all eat lunch together, and they were going to just enjoy each other's company. So it wasn't just about, let's just talk about the doom and gloom of things, but it was about how do we restructure this relationship so they can feel connected, and then they came back after lunch ready to learn. Because really, right, when we talk about cooperation, the co-piece means we're going to do it together, mm-hmm. right? And the, the operate, the right to work, right? That we are working together. And so cooperation really requires connection and understanding. And so when we want to move kids in that direction, this work is paramount to really getting kids to a place, right, where cooperation is paramount. And they figured it out themselves. They did. And, I and mean, it wasn't so me telling powerful. them what to do. Right? right, right. Right. So another story that goes along with this is that, um, again, uh, we had a little friend in kindergarten and who had lots of behaviors that were communicating some distressing emotional landscape issues, right? And so what we figured out was before the day started was to have every kindergarten can pick a card that helped, right, identify. So we did it for him because it was so clear, right, that this little friend needed our our support. But what ended up happening was that ritual. Well, let me routine, just say, when you say pick a card, you meant pick the feelings, a feeling card. A feelings card, yeah. yeah. And just like how is your day starting, right? right? Because often what we know as teachers, what happens before they get to school mm. can impact the rest of their day. And so that one just very simple introduction helps them to start to see, oh, this allows me to be heard, to be understood yes. by the adult in the room and by the other kids in the room. And so as we taught them how to use this, there was a little table set up with two, two table, you know, a table with two mats with the cards available mm-hmm. and two chairs set off in a corner that kids could choose on their own to go back to that table. We have something we would say to the adult, we have something we want to work out. Yes. We're going to go back and work on this. So wonderful. Right. And they, five-year-olds mm-hmm. can do that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you were a part of a workshop we did for 12 schools where we had our students share this right. with the 12 other um, principals and staff at those schools 
And our eighth graders, who had been using it for a few years at this point, were able to do the training because they were the ones using it, yeah. and they were facilitating their own conversations at that point. And there's a point at which you don't have to use the game anymore, right? You, you've internalized right. that vocabulary, that understanding, and you can say to someone, hey, we need to mm-hmm. sort of sit down and talk about our feelings and needs, and, and how do we do that? So, you know, kids moved from, obviously, right, having the hands-on manipulative things, the visuals are so helpful, particularly for the younger ones as they move through the older ones. But when you get to be, you know, in middle school, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, they've internalized how this process works. And they've also internalized, oh, there's a need here. There's a choice being made. There's a trigger here. So they could skip all of this because they could get right to, we know the more of the story about each other. Yeah. We know, right? I know my part in this, right? And you know your part. Let's just get to it. I made a mistake. (laughs) Let's just sort this out. But watching those eighth graders actually train these adults. They were amazing. Right? It was stunning to watch that happen. And I think what was even more stunning to me was how unkind some of those adults were to those kids. I was walking around as a a guest. Right. Right. I I heard some of them challenge. Well, that's not going to. And and those kids right. just took. I almost thought, oh, I should say something, but right. I didn't. And they just took they, over and explained the whole thing. No, this is how it works, yeah. and this is what happens. And yeah. They were just so confident about it. And they, because they, right, this tool gave them the ability yes. to be securely attached. Yes to themselves, to each other, to their adults. And so when adults misbehaved, because these adults were definitely misbehaving, um, they looked at that misbehavior as um, a clue to who that person was and not as a indictment. Something's wrong with me. Right, indictment about themselves. Right, let me give you some of it, because the choice cards are... Right, we haven't talked about the choices, yeah. So your choices are... You could get defensive, make excuses, yell, ignore, withdraw, shut down, shut down, take a time in. That's yeah. a choice. To mourn, which sometimes is necessary. Shift your energy to calm alert. Make a request. So see, oh, connect with your feelings and needs. Connect with others' feelings and needs. And celebrate. Um, get angry. That's a choice. Right. So... The kids or whoever is using these cards learns to connect with that aspect as well of, hey, I have a choice here. Right. Well, and to that point is that we would often start with a choice that wasn't so successful. Mm -hmm. And then we would go back to the choice cards and say, okay, so this choice brought us here. Yeah. So what is the choice? What's a a choice that will help us all to be more successful? Yes. Once the situation is over. So then they could look at, oh, I could do X, Y, Z, and that would bring me more connected, right? Because if that's like, or I could be more understood, or I could be heard in a way I wasn't heard before. So looking at the needs, right? How how do my choices affect getting my needs met? And how do those needs, right, allow me to choose other feelings? So you can go backwards from the choices back to the feelings 
and which we would often do, and like, how are you feeling now? Now that we've gone through this, where are you now mm -hmm. in this? So it really is this very cyclical experience, and it is not top-down. It is very much about movement between and amongst each other, and sometimes it takes time, and that's sometimes mm -hmm. adults aren't willing to give it the time right. it needs. But it's such a grown-up thing to do. Right, right. <laughs> and to teach kids and to have them take... Well, they they did, and they do. They take over. They do. And it's a. It's all I can say. It's like it's a really grown up, mature it is. process that right. the kids internalize it. And I often seen, do much better than. I was going to say. I have seen kids do so much better at this process than I've seen adults. Yes. Do. And I think that's you know it's it's a matter of practice yeah. and teaching. And we talk all the time to the kids about we are practicing to be human. Because it isn't, yeah. none of us will ever get it right. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, we could keep talking about this. It is such an important topic. It is. Um, but this is probably it <laughs> for now. Yes. Thank you so much. Of course. For uh, coming I love in having these conversations. This. We'll do yes. more. And if you have any questions for Edie, you can contact her at E. Lanfar at gmail.com. So that's E L A N P H A R at gmail.com. Or you can call her at 805 459 You can also contact me, Mary Emma, M at learningsuccesscoach.com or 805-648-1739. Or visit um, my website, schoolathomemadeeasier.com. Uh, and I also wanted to say again that if you're interested in those uh, feelings and needs cards in the No Fault game, I think it's nofaultzone.com that you can always um, Google No Fault Zone and, you know, it'll come up. Um, and again, this process is excellent for adults as well as children. We really... We really encourage that if you do use um, these uh, uh, tool cards, these tools, that you, if you're if you're an adult <laughs> and you get them for the kids, please also use them you know, with yourself and with your loved ones. Yeah, yes. family, any group, your yes. family, your classroom, your teachers. I know you also did the process with parents. I did. Came in. Absolutely for um, consultation or, um, they're good for everybody so thank you for listening bye for now